just want to kind of get you in the frame of mind of, of what we're going to be looking at this morning as we go into Acts chapter 9, and as Mandy mentioned earlier, as we talk about transformation. How many of you have been to your high school reunion? Have you, uh, how many of you, okay, only a few of you have had those. That's all right, no perfect people allowed. Does not mean you have to go to your high school reunion? Uh, I'm coming up on my 20th high school reunion uh, next year, and so it'll be really interesting to see how much people have changed since 20 years, being 20 years removed from high school. I mean, 10 years was crazy already because you see, oh, this person got married, or oh, this person had kids, or oh, this person spent this much time in prison. You know, you find out all the different things that have happened to people since you knew them, the way that they have been changed, the way that you have changed, and it can be interesting, especially when you consider 30-year high school reunion or 40-year high school reunion or further to see all the things that have happened to different people. The closer you are to someone, the more you notice the subtle changes in their life. It's like, oh, you, you look like you got a haircut, or you notice, oh, you got a new pair of shoes, or something different has happened about them. Maybe uh, a change in their mood or facial expression means something to you. You can tell that there's something going on in their life just because of that. Changes in their character. Change is something that we all are confronted with something that we all deal with, it, whether it's day-to-day, minute-to-minute, week-to-week, year-to-year, month-to-month. The circumstances around us change, so the people around us change. And it would be great if all that meant that people change for the better. Like the things that happen in their life, the things that are different, right, because nothing stays the same. It's just what we deal with in this life, that everybody would be motivated to let those circumstances, let those events that happen in their life change them for the better, that they become things that it's like, oh, this is a growth opportunity. But that's not what everybody wants. In fact, a lot of times I think what, what we want the most and why we resist change so much is we want everything to be the way it's always been in our lives because we're comfortable with that. It's familiar to us. We remember how to act or how to live life in whatever that specific way that life was being lived in that point in time. And so what we really want, I mean, circumstances change us regardless, but the reason why not everybody handles it well is because we really want things to just stop, be in stasis, and be the same for our whole entire lives. That's not how life works. They don't go back to how they were. They don't just magically change into something that's favorable for us. And so what we're going to be looking at this morning is a truth, the truth that we're all changed by events in our lives, but we also all have a choice in what we allow to transform us. And so we're going to be looking at a story of transformation. We're taking one word and kind of describing what's happening each week as we go through the book of Acts that will give us an outline of exactly what movement, type of movement that God is sparking through us and through his Holy Spirit. And so that's our word today is transformation. So we'll be in Acts chapter 9, and we're going to be looking at a guy who kind of had a cameo in our story last week. We talked about Stephen, we talked about persecution, and there, there, there was this guy who stood by and watched Stephen get stoned. He was the guy who uh, uh, watched everybody's coat for them, and his name was Saul, and we're going to be talking about him this morning. There's three details that I want to give you about Saul's life that are kind of background information, just to kind of un- help you understand, if you don't already know, his context and what's going on in his life. Um, when, you, when you read about him, you may already know that Saul, it goes by two different names in the New Testament. 
He's called Saul, and he's also called Paul. And this was actually fairly common. Saul is his Jewish name. Paul is his Roman name. He had Roman citizenship, but he was also a Jewish man. And so he had those two names, and it's kind of like, you know, uh, here I get called Rob or Robert. If I go south of the border, then I get to be Roberto. You know, it's that, that kind of thing. And so he's got two different names, and this was a common common thing, but it also plays into his transformation as well. Uh, the second thing is that Paul grew up in a very strict Jewish context. In fact, he becomes a Pharisee, and a Pharisee is a very specific religious sect who had a philosophy of um, being very uh, legalistic, we'll call it, when it comes to God's Word. They very specifically wanted to get everything right when it came to following God's laws. And so to, in order to do that, they actually came up with about 600 plus laws that would help them accomplish everything that they thought they were supposed to do with God's law. And so Jesus ran into a lot of con- conflict with the Pharisees when it came to this because they constantly had to be reminded that they had forgotten God's number one law, which is love, love for God and love for people. And it was the Pharisees and the Sadducees who had gotten together to plot against Jesus and eventually had killed him. So that's kind of where Saul is coming from. And as a Pharisee, the third thing is this, is that Saul's highest objective was Jewish purity when it came to following the Old Testament law. And so his mission, his personal mission, became to destroy the church. That's where, that's where we find him in Acts chapter 9, is that Saul, he is on a mission, and what he wants to do is he wants to get rid of people who are following Jesus because it's ruining everything that the people were supposed to be doing, or so he thought. And he wasn't just a vigilante mob leader either. He had official, this was his official role when it came to the Jewish religious leadership. He was the hitman with legal papers uh, sent to punish the followers of Jesus. So this is where we find him in Acts chapter 9, verse 1. Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. At this point, Christians weren't even being called Christians yet, because these were Jewish believers who recognized that God had sent the Messiah who was promised. And so they're, they're thinking back to Jesus saying in John chapter 14, verse 16, that he's the way, the truth, and the life. And so oh, we're, we're following the way that God has sent. This is what everything has led to. And so these are the people that Saul is going after. After the stoning of Stephen, we talked about how people had scattered. Well, the city of Damascus was one of these places, and Saul was headed to hunt Christians down. But something happened that would transform his life. In verse 3, as he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, he replied. Now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. You ever found yourself, um, not that you would ever say anything bad about someone else, right? I know none of us do that here, but you ever found yourself talking about someone and that, but you didn't know they were behind you? Has that ever happened to you? It has never happened to me, not one time. It has never happened to me. But, but you're, you, you just realize, oh, this person has just walked up to you, and then you kind of go through your, your head. It's like this quick moment, and you think, 
what did I say? You know, you're trying to remember, what are the things that I say? Were these good things? Were they true things? Were they things that I would say to this person's face? You know, because there's times when you're, you're talking about someone when they're not in the room, and that's perfectly normal. There's other times when you're doing it, and it's perfectly wrong, right? And uh, this is kind of where Paul finds himself. Well, I, sorry, I'm calling him Paul too soon. This is where Saul finds himself on the road to Damascus, because he stopped, and boom, here's this guy that he's trying to destroy, basically. He's trying to kill people and imprison them who are following him, and he stops them in the middle of the road, and he says, hey, buddy, it's time for us to talk. Saul is stunned, and so so are his friends. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing, so they led him by the hand into, into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. Saul's got a lot to think about in these three days. He can't see. Everything that he thought he knew about his life that was true, everything that he had based all of his talents and abilities and passion in, had just been rocked and overturned. And so he's got to consider what this circumstance, what this event, how this thing that's going to change his life, how it's going to transform him. Because, listen, he, he could ignore what's happening here. I mean, sure, this event would change his life. I mean, there's no denying that, that it had happened, and so he would remember that. But he's still got a choice here as to what he's going to do about it when he's confronted with this reality, that there's more to Jesus than what he'd been giving Jesus credit for, that he'd killed people for believing in Jesus, that he'd done horrible things convinced that he was right. But now what? What do you do now? when you're confronted in this moment. In the meantime, while he's stuck for three days, there's this other guy who comes into the story. His name is Ananias. He's a follower of Jesus. He's in Damascus. He's one of the people who had heard about Saul coming, who's scared out of his mind, as any reasonable person would be, because Saul has all the authority of the Jewish government backing him up. And God comes to Ananias and says, Hey, you know, you know that guy Saul who just showed up? I want you to go talk to him. Ananias doesn't want to go, obviously. It's like, Saul, no, this is not a guy who's worth talking to. This is the guy who's, who's actively trying to destroy the church. But God says to Ananias, go to him. He's my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles. God has marked Saul in a way that seems unreasonable at least to me, he's the super Pharisee, the guy who is going to destroy the message of Jesus. And yet this is the one that God chooses to transform into the guy who's going to spread the gospel to everyone else in the world. This is the man who rejected Jesus. This is, you could not pick a more unlikely person. This would be like the, the Tar Heels hiring Mike Krzyzewski to be their next coach. I mean, you just... Like, you don't do this. Not everybody's sports fans. That's, a, that's okay. But you don't do this kind of thing. This kind of transformation just doesn't happen. But Ananias goes to this house, and he enters it. He places his hand on Saul. He's obedient to God. He places his hand on Saul. And he says, Brother Saul, the Lord, Jesus, who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here, has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Immediately, something like scales fell from Saul's eyes, and he could see again. He got up. He was baptized, and after taking some food, he regained his strength. 
In those three days of consideration, Saul decided that he was ready to be transformed by the truth of what he had experienced. He gets up, he's baptized, and his transformation is amazing to see over the next couple days. Saul spent several days with the disciples in Damascus, and at once he began to preach in the synagogues that, that Jesus is the Son of God. And just in a few days, this is a completely different and new person. All those who heard him were astonished and asked, Isn't he the man who raised havoc in Jerusalem among those who call on his name? And hasn't he come here to take them as prisoners to the chief priests? And yet Saul grew more and more powerful and baffled the Jews living in Damascus by proving that Jesus is the Messiah. I mean, Saul, Saul didn't just change. He wasn't just, oh, he's kind of different. You know, Saul, Saul, you look like you got a haircut. Maybe you got some new sandals or something. There's something different about you. I don't know what. No, he's a completely different human being. He was spiritually dead. He spent three days blind in a tomb of sorts. Now he's fully alive. He was blind, but now he sees. He died to himself and was transformed by grace. And one of the things I, I just think as Christ followers, as followers of the way, that it's good to be reminded of when it comes to our own transformation, how we're supposed to be different because of what Jesus has done for us, is to be reminded that God's method of transformation is resurrection. That's how you and I have been transformed. We were spiritually dead, and now we're alive because of what Jesus has done for us. You ever had that thought, it's like, man, if I could do it all over again, I would. You know, if I could go back to high school and know everything that I knew now, here's how I would do things, and I would kind of live things differently if I only had that opportunity. This is that opportunity. You are a brand new person. You are different than what you were ever before when Jesus saved you. When we look at our resurrection transformed lives, it changed all of our past, but it also transformed all of our future. Once Saul converted to Christianity, he became the most active Christian missionary, really the first Christian missionary, anyone. I mean, he was the one tasked to go to the Gentiles, who were simply everybody who are not Jews. And so that was his mission. He changed everything. He, was, he is the most influential leader of Christianity aside from Jesus. Thirteen of his letters are preserved in the New Testament. A lot of our theology, practically how we live out our Christianity, is shared with us through Saul, who became Paul. He transformed from a legalistic Pharisee who was on a mission to destroy the church to being Jesus to other people. That was the transformation that he was called into. It's no wonder that people started calling him Paul after this because he was a completely different person. And so you think about that and you look at this story and think, man, this is such a radical change. How, like, how does this happen? What was it that, that Saul experienced that brought him to Paul? Well, he writes about it over and over and over in all of his letters. The power of godly transformation is grace. Paul was confronted with a completely different way of looking at life experiencing life, living life with other people. And it was based on a foundation of grace through Jesus. Grace is getting this free pardon that you don't deserve. And so one of the things that Paul had to wrestle with and deal with when he was confronted with Jesus is that everything that he had done in his past, the horrible atrocities that he committed against people who were right, and he had to figure out, man, how, what am I going to do about this? In the 1700s, there was... Um, 
Lord George Littleton uh, wrote a book called Observations of the Conversion and Apostleship, Apostleship of St. Paul. He's writing it to a friend of his. And the reason he was writing is he, he, was, he was talking about how singularly um, amazing Paul's conversion is. Because for somebody to go through such a radical change, you think, I mean, there's got to be some sort of some sort of benefit, like this, is, this has got to be a, a hoax of some sort, because it's too radical of a change, too big of a transformation. That a lot of times when people, you know, are, are talking about these kinds of things, they're trying to convince other people maybe to help them get more power or help them to get more wealth or, or something, more social standing. Like there's got to be something of benefit that Paul wanted. And he's writing to his friend, he's saying, but, but look at what happened to his life. The guy was a Pharisee of Pharisees, which means he was kind of at the height of where he wanted to be when it came to wealth and when it came to influence and when it came to power and when it came to notoriety, all of those kinds of things. Paul had everything. His life was set. He was exactly where he thought he needed to be, and yet he gave all of that up. For what? To be beaten, to be shipwrecked, to be tortured, to be in prison, to eventually dying for his faith, that, that Paul's experience with Jesus on the road to Damascus was him finally understanding what grace really is and who God and what God really looks like. I mean, his transformation doesn't make sense until we come to this point and recognize what he began to believe, that God was willing to come to this earth and give his own life as a sacrifice for our sins. That he loves us simply because we matter to God more than anything else. That even though there's nothing we could possibly do to make God love us more, there's also nothing that we could possibly do to make God love us less. And when Paul learned about that, he learned about grace. And grace brings about transformation in our life. He experienced it through Jesus on the road to Damascus. And here's why you and I come in. Here's where you and I come in and why transformation is such an important part of our lives. He experienced it through Ananias as well, who allowed his faith in the one who saves to direct his path rather than his feelings or fears. As Christ followers, we've got to let God's grace dictate our transformation, not our circumstances. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, Paul writes this, to the church in Corinth. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come. The old has gone. The new is here. When you encounter Jesus' grace and forgiveness, you're transformed. You're given a clean slate, a new start, a reboot, a do-over. And it's available for all of us to experience. Paul, when he finally understood what God really looked like, it changed everything for him. That offers available for anyone, no matter what's in your past, no matter what might be in your future, no matter what circumstances have changed you, or what you've allowed maybe to transform you. Paul, Paul's story is so interesting because on the one hand, if you feel like you've been too bad, maybe, for God to transform you, you feel like, oh no, there's no way that God can forgive me for the things that, I mean, you know, Paul was a murdering extremist. God can change you. God can transform you. It's not about just following all the rules and being a good person. 
It's about letting Jesus be the one who guides and directs how you live in this life. God's love transforms us by the grace of God through Jesus. That's the message of the book of Acts. It's the whole message that Paul shared with other people. It's that same message that he shares with everybody. Hey, believe in Jesus. Trust me. Be baptized into his name. This transformation I mean, it washes everything away. This, this can make everything different in your life. It can, can change your entire perspective. It changes it changes us on a spiritual level. Because as soon as that happens, when God looks at us, man, all that stuff is gone. Maybe the things that you're holding on to in your past that you still feel like, even as a Christian, that you still think, you know, man, these are the, still the things that, man, I know God hates about my... No, he didn't see that anymore. It's gone. On a spiritual level, it's completely, it's completely gone. On a physical level, as we continue to live our lives, your homework this week is to read Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Just, there you go. I know some of you are like, oh, I'm going to get my homework done right now, and you're going to read it now, which is perfectly fine. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. And, and, and that's how transformation, as you read that, and you learn what that means, as you study God's word, and you just continue to live a life in prayer and guided and directed by him, you start to see that transformation causes us to be a new creation. The bitterness that used to consume you is transformed into forgiving attitude. The jealousy that's been eating you up is slowly transformed into contentment. The dirty thoughts and temptations that drag you into dark and shameful places start to become undesirable to you, and you start to want pure living and wholesome habits. Jesus transforms selfish people into giving people, foolish people into wise people. He can mend the brokenness that's been following you your whole life and transform you into someone who is whole because that's what Jesus does. That's what his grace does. That's what God wants for you. That's what God wants us to share with other people. How awesome would it be for you to go to your next reunion, wherever that might be, and somebody walks up to you and they say, man, you... Not only do you have a new haircut, but there's, some, there's something different about you. There's something different about, I, I don't know, your facial expression. There's something different about your spirit. There's something different about the way that you handle yourself. There's something different about the way that I see you interact with other people. And that you get to respond, well, it's because I know about the grace of God. It's because I've experienced the resurrection. Because I've met Jesus on the road as I've lived my life. And he's changed me. And he's transformed me. Man, what would that look like? One of the single most convincing things for me when it comes to believing in Jesus Christ is the transformation that I see in the people that believe in him and let their lives be transformed by him. That's, that's who we are. That's who we get to be as followers of the way. And there's also an invitation there for any of us who are not yet Christ followers, to believe in Jesus, to get up just like Paul was, to be baptized into his name, and to live the rest of our lives being transformed by his grace. Let me pray for us before our time of communion as we're reminded who we are in Jesus. God, help us to see ourselves as transformed people that Help us to be reminded that when you look at us, you see us as being fully transformed by the grace of Jesus. And that we get to live the rest of our lives, even into eternity, being transformed by who you are. 
God, help us to have that desire. Give us, give us strength through your Holy Spirit to give us that desire to want that transformation that you offer more than anything else that distracts us in our life. God, we, th- we thank you for the opportunities that we have to um, not let our lives be dictated by our circumstances and events, that we get to choose you. God, we ask that you make those opportunities clear in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.